0: Take pride in your work, talk less, say more, you know, and remember some things aren't for sale. And I think those three in particular to how we do business and at least me personally, I like to remind myself of as frequently as I can. And we have it, you know, displayed in our, sitting out on the table right outside our conference room. So, you know, we may not consciously look at it every day, but it's there.
1: This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, the founders, funders, and contributors, and the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital. Our guest today is Access Venture Partners, based in Denver, Colorado. Uh, We have with us Brian Wallace, who is the managing director, and Elise Kent, who is the head of platform. In this episode, Access Venture Partners is going to give us the inside scoop on how they choose the companies to invest in, how they are uniquely positioned in the Colorado startup ecosystem, and their some of their tips for successful founders. Hi, Brian and Elise. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Les. Thanks for having us. Yeah, super excited to, to, to talk with you both about about Colorado, Boulder, Denver, everything in between, the Northern Rockies. Uh, we're, we're excited. To begin, Brian, why don't you tell me a little bit about kind of the origin story and the history of, of Access?
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. So Access was formed in 1999 by my partner, Frank Mendocino, and his dad, also Frank Mendocino, so affectionately referred to as Junior and Senior at our, at our shop. And they were both at a fund that Frank Sr. formed with a few others called Woodside Fund in the Bay Area. And for family reasons and quality of life and just the opportunity back in the late 90s, they decided to leave the Silicon Valley and start access in college. I think, you know, looking back, you can say maybe a little ahead of our time, no, you know, seeing, just a little, just a really. Little. <laughs> wow, seeing what's happened in, in the marketplace, but together they, they built a portfolio of about 20 companies. And that was the impetus of, of the first, the beginnings of the first access fund I joined in 2005 and Frank Jr. And I became the managing directors and we raised access Two. And with an even more focused strategy in the Rocky Mountains, Access One had done a few deals, you know, broader based in Texas and other, other markets. And we decided to narrow the focus even more and just focus on the Rocky Mountain. Most of our capital was raised from families in Colorado and Wyoming and, and the region. And so that was our focus. We added our third partner, Kirk Hall, towards the about Oh, I don't know about half time in that fund, about the tail end of that fund, and then Kirk Frank and I have been the GPs of the Access funds for Access VP three, four, and now five, which we're in the process of of closing.
1: Amazing! What what a what a history and what a, what what trailblazers! It's fascinating. Elise, when did when did you join the Access
2: team? So I joined about a year ago, and it was a long time coming. I had met the guys about 10 years ago when the Colorado tech ecosystem was just really maturing to the point of creating regular events and places and support systems for entrepreneurs here. And I was, at the time, had just started built in Colorado, which became a a great hub and the place that connected these tech startups and, and really was the the way that they got connected to each other and started to find talent and uh, other places throughout the US started to know we were actually doing something here. So met the guys back then and they were supportive of what I was trying to build and create. And then time just put us back together, which is great.
1: Serendipity. I love it. And, and for, those of our, for those of our listeners, Elise, that maybe have never heard of the job title, Head of Platform, what, 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 does, that, what does a Head of Platform do at a venture capital fund?
2: Yeah, good question. You know, it's, it's one of those Silicon Valley terms that we uh, are using and everybody has their own definition but it's definitely not technical. A, it, it came to be, again, about 10 years ago, but the whole premise was the, the competition between VC firms really had to do with not being able to stand out from each other. So VC, VC firms said, okay, why don't we create a, a role or a team that is really gonna support our founders in a unique way? and so at access my my role is to really help our companies mostly with talent and ensuring that they get the the right people on the team to move their uh, business to that next scale and then secondly it's it's about really creating a network around or a a platform around our network so that we can draw in from experts or whoever is going to really move the needle both with our, our companies or our future ed investments.
1: Yeah, such a, such an important role, certainly, and I think probably even more so nowadays for regional venture to have you know someone focused on this and connecting connecting the tissue to you know the coastal firms, coastal networks. So very exciting.
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll add last the 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 thing that really and in the title is you know what what does the title mean? I don't, I don't even know still, but what it what it really what at least really The value she adds is being able to work in and with the portfolio companies. And as you know, a lot of times we just don't, we're, you know, you take care of a board meeting, you're on to the next one, you're on to the next one. And you you just don't have the time to take dives into and be able to help the company. So having someone on our team that is actively engaged in that has just been, you know, immensely helpful to us and, and building a stronger network for us and our portfolio companies. For sure. I I know the feeling. I miss doing the fun
1: stuff. I envy you, Elise. You still get to do the fun stuff. Get getting your hands dirty with the portfolio companies. That's great. Definitely. What has the evolution of, of Access been like, you know, from the late nineties to today? And like what is it what does it look like today in terms of getting getting in front of Access or getting, you know, get as a founder?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. We we try to keep that top of mind. And our goal is to be as approachable now as we were when we were still trying to let people know what the heck we did and who we were. Um, So, you know, I'd say the evolution really is, you know, as, as the markets matured and as we've matured, it hasn't changed. It's still to try to meet every entrepreneur in our ecosystem. And we really try to give time to every entrepreneur, meaning we'll take meetings, And even if we know at the outset to say, I don't think there's any way we'll invest in this company. We still feel that one, we don't know until you meet. And two, it's part of our building of the ecosystem and giving back to the ecosystem. So we really try to be as entrepreneurial friendly and focused as we can and hope that that has been continuous since the inception of the firm. And so I I would say that as, as far as, what's changed about the entrepreneurs themselves is you know when we started the early investments in this market were young we were young you know we were trying to figure a lot of this out we didn't have many senior executives in the market if we needed a vp of sales you know we had to you know get on an airplane and go out to california and beg people to come out here and say take this job and it was hard because if that job didn't work that person would be well, what else? There's nothing else for me to do if I relocate there, for example. So I'd say the positive change that we've seen is that now you have second, third, and fourth generation entrepreneurs who have a lot more experience, the mentor capabilities of senior executives in the market to help younger entrepreneurs build better and stronger teams faster is here. And as you guys know, in Montana, it's not hard to get people to pick up from either of the coasts and say, When can I start they, you know it's people want to come here they know they can continue to build their career here and and so that's that's been a hundred and eighty degree turn for the better yeah
1: it must must be exciting to see to to watch that to have seen that all these years to go from I love what you said about how we were young, they were young. It reminds me of like a Nat King Cole song or something. <laughs> uh, and it's like now you're you're like you're grown up. I mean, that ecosystem that you're in is is, you know, arguably one of the one of the ones that people are trying to get to now. Yeah, really
0: and I, to- I I'd love to get Elise's input here, but what we're trying to do now candidly is is to also get our team a little bit younger so that you know, we don't lose that connection with the younger entrepreneurs in particular. So, you know, we're thrilled to have Elise join and bring a woman into the firm, which has been fantastic. And, you know, we want to continue to bring young, talented people into our firm so it perpetuates.
1: Absolutely. Elise, what, is that? what has that been like for you as, as, a, as a woman in venture in Colorado?
2: You know what's wild is if you would have asked me and I would have been in this position probably 5 years ago I would have said it's a it's a solitary type of bandstand, right? But now, just, just last week, we we have a quarterly event where we get together about 30 women who are in uh, VC investment in Colorado to support and provide a direct connection to female founders. And that is a, a twofold strategy. One, it's because we have seen that these, that women are becoming um, increasingly in these positions in Colorado, which is spectacular. And a lot have moved in from the coast. Secondly, what we're trying to do with this is to create a, a link between these fa- female founders trying to raise funding, because as we know, that funding gap is really pronounced, especially in the West. So I think it's been uh, wonderful. It feels uh, really empowering right now to to be working with both access and the greater Colorado community as we start to change the numbers and see them change and see the growth in uh, female leadership and uh, businesses.
1: It's amazing. I, I, I commend you, on, on, you know, on the work you're doing with, with, those, with those women founders, women in VC. Yeah, I think we, we, there's some great progress being made. Certainly, we have a ways to go still. But it's, it's definitely, I can see change, which is exciting. The Code of the West, Brian, yes. tell me about it. What is, what is it?
0: So the Code of the West goes back to Frank and I's roots in Wyoming. We, a little history it didn't provide about, you know, the, the, the starting of Access is that Frank and I grew up together on tennis courts in Wyoming back in middle school and high school. So we, that's where we formed a you know, a long, lifelong friendship and to our partner, Kirk's dismay, he has to be partners with people who act like brothers a lot of the time. But, you know, the code of the West is it's, uh, you know, there's a Western author who kind of codified it, if you will, And, and we have always, you know, believed in the, just in the cowboy ethics and it's, you know, it's work hard, be honest, you know, be fair. And, you know, it's, it's a ride for the brand and it's just some sayings that really are built around, you know, holding yourself up, treating others as you'd like to be treated. And, and just being tough, but fair in business. And and we really, you know, it's important to us. It's very important to a lot of the families that we work with who enable us to do what we do. It's a lot of things that, you know, as venture capitalists, we don't talk a lot about the families that support us by investing money with us, but you know, those relationships are, are longstanding and deep. And, you know, they also have really been mentors to me throughout my career and, and really, That's where i've learned i guess the code of the west that that we've just adopted as our unofficial you know kind of guidelines on how to treat people and how to do business
1: the 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 code of the west from the cowboys of the tennis courts of wyoming yes i love it (laughs) to venture amazing and is that so i encourage all our listeners to go on the website and read the code of the west as as access kind of displays it is that did you guys come up with that or is that like a more prominent like national thing that,
0: yeah no we we i i wish i was creative enough to come up with this but no <laughs> it, it is it, it is borrowed and it's an okay yeah it's uh
1: but even still i mean it's brilliant there they are they these little idioms that are just fantastic. You know, one that I'm guilty of is talking less and saying I, more. I, I need to I need to fix that. I one. just
0: pulled it up last time. I'm looking at it. and That's the same way. Yeah. We violate that way, way too much. And it's, you know, I, I think ticking through, it's really, you know, and I think each of these means something different to everybody, but, you know, take pride in your work, talk less, say more, you know, and remember some things aren't for sale. And I think those three in particular, to how we do business. And at least me personally, I like to remind myself of as frequently as I can. And we have it, you know, displayed in our sitting out on the table right outside our conference room. So, you know, we may not consciously look at it every day, but it's there. It's such
1: a credo too, for, you know, how I, the, the, the folks from your firm that I've interacted with, I mean, it's really something that you all live. So it's, it's, it's I love it. I, I encourage people to check it out because I think It says a lot about who your firm is and how you do how you do business so where do you speaking of doing business where and how does access find deals where where do you where do you scout
0: it's uh you know i would say that most of the companies that we meet are referred from somebody in the community whether it's you know, CEOs, current or past CEOs of portfolio companies are good partners in the, you know, in the bankers, you know, from the venture banks to the accountants and the lawyers and, you know, just community driven. And, and, you know, we also try to do a lot of outreach when, you know, we see uh, a a company moving to Colorado, we'll try to track them down and the founders and say, you know, hey, let's, you should meet with us. Let's find out more. So it's kind of all of the above. It's, you know, most of the deals we've done have been referred to us in some way but you know, there's probably a quarter of them that we've either hustled and found or you know, random encounters or just you know, trying to learn about what people are doing in certain markets.
1: Elise, what would you say is sort of different as you kind of peer into the portfolio on a, on a regular basis? Like what's unique about your founders or the founders in, in, in the Access portfolio?
2: What a great question, Les. Back to what Brian said earlier, it's approachability every single one of our founders shares that as their the way that they do business and operate a team as well so you don't see a ton of high power egos where you don't know who you're going to get when they, when you engage them everyone is extremely personable they, they don't think of themselves as someone who is in this high throne chair for everybody to like, you know, approach and on their knees. They, they're very wonderful people who are really driven about what they're trying to solve. And they are thinking about things from every angle imaginable and open to feedback, ideas, and uh, I think that's the, our biggest, uh, our most important quality of, of the founders that we work with. Wonderful. I was on a
1: panel recently in Wyoming, a venture panel, and the first, it was the same question asked, and the first VC answered it by saying, first of all, we want to make sure that the founder wants to be a Decacorn. And no. I, I kind of chuckled, I was like, <laughs> wow, that's the attribute. What, what do you look for okay. in, terms of, uh, in terms of attributes or aspirations? That was a Bay Area B.C., uh, by the way.
2: So. Yeah that that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty interesting. I mean, who doesn't want to be a decacorn? But at the end of the day, let's we're we're investing in in seed and sometimes even pre-seed stage businesses. So let's talk about what your business is that you're gonna be building over the next one to five years. And and then if you're only getting people that say that from the get-go, I'm sure there's way more egos that you're working with that are not necessarily staying true to their business model and what their product can support. So that's an interesting answer. Yeah, so Brian, I said uh, approachability as our our top, Quality as well as I guess dependability and maybe even stability. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm still
0: trying to get my head around decacorn. I I kind of think that <laughs> you know half of what we do is like more of a deck of cards. You know, it's you just hope that they're dealt out in the right <laughs> way. Uh, but I, I open I think for, for two pairs and, and another way to say it with founders is you know it's intellectual honesty. It, it and mm. it, it's you, you have to be such high intellect. And we're so lucky to work in this business because we work with people who are way smarter, you know, than at least I am. And it's, which makes it really fun, but that doesn't, that's not, you know, that's necessary foundation to be successful, but you have to be able to, on a daily basis as an entrepreneur, be intellectually honest with yourself and your team and understand that most things aren't going to work. And when they're not, You have to be honest with yourself and with your board to say, you know, this is how I think it's going to go this month. Even if it's not how you want it to be, it's got to be that way. So when we're looking and working with entrepreneurs and deciding what deal to do, a lot of it is is character assessment. And it's not, you know, bringing a psychiatrist and say, you know, answer all of these questions and do a, you know, that type of analysis It's just grinding through the business opportunity the financials and asking a bunch of questions and just getting a pattern recognition to see if this is somebody who you truly believe as Elise says is approachable and that you can work with as a partner to be, you know, honest with themselves and the people that they hire and you know if you get that right you can work through most of these situations that, you know, that that's the one thing we know about, you know, early stage investing is everything you look at's wrong you just hope some of it's wrong the right way, if that makes sense. That's a great way of
1: saying it, Brian. Elise, what about any specific, I think that's a wonderful kind of portrayal of of generally what, what access founders look like. Anything, any specific founder to highlight or sort of showcase to just talk about?
2: Yeah, so we invested in a company called Goodbye Gear, which is a part of the secular economy and specifically a marketplace for uh, baby, gently, gently use baby and kids gear. So basically the Poshmark for, for tykes. So the, the two founders Jessica and Kristen, they started this company as a way to really reduce the waste that is building up in parents' closets from having children. And what they did is at first, they were in their like manual, like in cars driving around, picking up all of the products and then uh, reselling them and now we have a marketplace that's grown to the south and the east coast to specifically make sure that these tons and tons of clothing and baby gear gets reused and it's a huge win for moms and, and parents who can get some money back into their pocket as well as is huge for um the the amount of waste and garbage that this industry basically contributes to because a lot of of kids gear is not actually resellable due to regulations mm-hmm. so they work through that and and the two founders are have been instrumental in really making sure that they're they're growing with, the, with what going to be really easy for parents throughout the United States to, to really cash back on, on this year. Yeah, it's
1: such a brilliant model. I'd say other than uh, diapers and midnight bottle feedings, that would be my third biggest pain point with raising kids. So I wish this was around like 13 years ago, but-
2: uh, Instead of like a Craigslist event. <laughs> <a bit. laughs>
1: yeah, very interesting. Brian, any—I mean—that's a fascinating company to showcase. Any other kind of major themes, though, in the portfolio industries, verticals, things that are winning in Colorado, things that are winning in the portfolio that you get excited about?
0: Yeah, we've we've had uh, historically quite a bit of success in the cybersecurity space, and you know, we we continue to you know each portfolio successively has has found you know one or two you know great companies. So we you know we were lucky enough to be investors back in—in in, I say we, but Frank and his dad and Alert Logic, just kind of the first major cyber deal that that Frank did, and then Logarithm in Fund Two, Red Canary is a high-flying company in Fund Three, and we now have ThreatX in Fund Four and a few other earlier-stage cyber. So I'd say that's one of the areas that we've had quite a bit of success, and it's—it's it's, you know both reputationally from our perspective because we've had success that I think founders in those areas gravitate towards us the first deal that we did in fund five is a a company founded by chris peterson who is the co-founder of logarithm and so you know we get to back yet another great potential cyber opportunity and it's a second time entrepreneur in the in the access fund which is very cool for us and, and also a great opportunity and then you know the the other areas that are that are in our market i mean we are at our core regionally focused so by, by, you know, definition, if you're regionally focused, you're going to be a little broader when it comes to specific market areas. But in addition to cyber, classic B2B software, net, network infrastructure software, you know, AI, machine learning, we just, the last deal I did, we did with your firm and the Tetra Insights up in Boulder, which is in the customer experience research. And, and then as Elise alluded to, our partner Kirk does more in this area around Business to consumer and marketplace opportunities. That you know, starting back from our first foray into that, in uh, a company Inspirato that was in our fund too. That uh, knocking on wood, if the listeners can hear that, is uh, SPAC. scheduled to de-spac and go public uh, December fifteenth. So we're excited about Amazing. that, obviously.
1: Yeah, such, such an unbelievable track record. I was I was just reviewing. You've, I, if it's if the website's correct, over a hundred companies now that Access is invested in. Is that right? Yeah from, from inception 45 exits over 4.2 billion in exit value. I mean, Such an amazing track record. Any anything looking back that you missed, like, or did you get them all? Did you get God in
0: the in the the region? (laughs) Less. If we had got them all, then I would have flown you down here on my jet. But (laughs) um, unfortunately, I'm still flying. But no. In in, in all seriousness, (laughs) whenever the Southwest (laughs) pilots, yeah, no, there,
1: there, you can't get them all, right? You can't do them all.
0: There's a handful of very successful companies in our market that that we just missed. And, you know, we didn't miss them because we didn't see them and we didn't miss Mm -hmm. them because we didn't get to know them. It's just, we couldn't for whatever reason, get convicted. And, you know, we're not afraid to say it. Sometimes we're wrong. In fact, we're wrong a lot in this business and it's hard to make those assessments at the early stage. And, you know, you'll, there, there's a a fantastic company here, Sondermine, that, Mm -hmm. you know, we met and have, a really good relationship with the CEO. And we just couldn't get our heads around the go-to-market and whether they would be embraced by that, you know, largely healthcare and payer, you know, broader market. And, you know, kudos to the the CEO. One, he got it funded without us, although he gave us every opportunity to participate. And that company is, a, you know, is a unicorn and doing fantastic. And, you know, looking back at it, man, I wish we would have come to a different decision, because it would have been, you know, incredibly profitable. But you know, sometimes, you know, you just don't quite get there. Sometimes you wait mm-hmm. too long, and it, it happens. So, you know, it. Yeah, we haven't caught every every big company, but as long as they continue to happen in our market, we can be supportive and we cheer for them because. They're gonna create the next generation of great entrepreneurs that we'll have the opportunity to catch. So I really I really appreciate your willingness to share that, Brian. I mean it's humble
1: and VC aren't usually uh, words that kind of go together in the same sentence. Re- really appreciate your humility in, in there, despite despite how successful your your firm has been. At least what about what about other interesting kind of unique statistics like just regionally or for the firm in, in the portfolio? Any anything to share there?
2: You know, what's really interesting is Access also has a, a, a couple of crypto startups and one space startup. So we definitely are following some trends that, uh, that are really interesting, especially for Colorado. Not necessarily a well-known fact is that Colorado has one of the um, fastest growing space tech ecosystems in the country. So over, over the past five years, that has grown exponentially, basically because of the, the Air Force base down near Colorado Springs. But we have invested in an, a company called Planet IQ. And then secondly, we've, we've invested in a company called Shapeshift and they specifically have been one of the, really the leaders in crypto in in Colorado and we've seen a lot of like smaller startups really popping up in that in that industry over the past couple of years, but we haven't dabbled more than that, I would say. Where we're really trying to focus on is e-commerce. There's a growing e-commerce industry in Colorado, and I think it has to do with a lot of these spinoffs of successful e-com companies in general. So you'll see companies like the Pro's Closet, which was started or which whose CEO is one of our, I guess, old or exited founders from Craftsy. So it's pretty cool to see him back in the marketplace startup again. And then we have a growing of financial services and FinTech industry as well, and see a lot of rising payment apps. But other than like the digital tech space, really healthcare startups have like tripled over the past five years in Colorado.
1: Fascinating. What, what role, I mean, aside from the trends in Colorado, has the state played
0: any role in your firm's success or in the success of the region? So we've, we've, I'd say the answer is yes, directly and indirectly. So, you know, when we were raising our uh, third and fourth funds, you know, this is a little known fact from a lot of the entrepreneur, but, you know, raising the first venture fund is almost easier than subsequent funds and you know it's amazing how facts and data ruin a good story and so <laughs> when, when you haven't done anything yet do. it's, it's all hype and you know with the need so when we were you know raising our next funds we had a tremendous amount of what i would call more indirect support from the state from all the way up to the governor's office governor hickenlooper hosted uh, a few receptions for us at the governor's mansion and brought in you know the local pension mm-hmm. funds and others and and you know it didn't lead to immediate success in the investment community but it it really helped us with connections to the financial community that ultimately then became you know investors with us leading to you know the, the some of the larger pension funds in fact the largest pension fund being a limited partner with us you know starting in the fourth fund so and, and just the the ecosystem in general and and this is the other you know, indirect for us, but direct for what we do, and just supporting a very positive business climate. You know, Colorado is an easy place to do business. It's relatively low tax. We do have, you know, rising property costs, which is, you know, impacting a lot of the markets around, but relatively inexpensive place and desirable place to live. And you know, we have to give a lot of credit to the, you know, to the government here and the state and the people that run it for being very entrepreneurial and very supportive of what we do.
1: For sure. At least anything to add to that in terms of what you've seen or how, you know, your interactions with uh, with the state?
2: Yeah, I, I, well, I think they're hugely supportive. In the beginning of the year, we published a report with Crunchbase specifically, and the state was instrumental in helping get additional data for that report to really talk about the um, the growth of our VC ecosystem and the, the total amount of funding that Colorado companies have received locally. I think secondly, the state continues to support rural aspects of colorado and continuingly trying to diversify the the economies there and really spur more innovation startups to, and, and startups to live in other places than just the front range
1: very important initiatives for sure
2: what about so with all
1: this activity and and the state's doing great things firms like access are doing great things and other seed stage firms in the in the region early stage firms What about when the venture tourists come into town and visit? Or how has that been? Are 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 other firms coming in trying to you know drive up prices? You know, add to the competitive nature of negotiating term sheets. What what's that like?
0: Yeah, I'd I'd say the evolution of that is is real interesting, And, and I'll contrast it with the Utah market, where you know the the California discovered Utah quite a while ago, and it's a lot more competitive at the Series A and you know, seed in, in, in A rounds. And you know, it's not that that competition doesn't exist here, but it's not as prevalent. What is prevalent is that entrepreneurs know that they can go to, to California now, and they can, you know, they can get meetings, they can, and, and the market is well known, and it's a known quantity. So, you know, we haven't seen the influx of partners necessarily, you know, with the satellite office or you know, spending a lot of time here, you know, it's it's definitely more, but it's just the credibility that the Colorado market has now. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, a Colorado entrepreneur would go to California and be like, don't, you know, move here. We don't invest in Colorado. Yeah, move yeah. here <laughs> or, you know, or I don't want to talk to you. now it's, it's you know, partly, I don't even think it's a COVID phenomenon, honestly. I, I just think that it's a, you know, it can happen anywhere. And the talent pool has decided that they, you know, want to live in different markets other than Silicon Valley. So there's definitely been price increases in in early stage rounds. It's been pretty dramatic over the past, you know, two, three years in particular, but I think relatively, you know, or comparatively, whatever the right term is, our valuations are still much more attractive at the early stage than they are in Silicon Valley in New York. And it's due to a little bit less competition and a little bit lower, quite a bit lower cost of living, you just don't need as much money to get started. So you don't need to raise as much capital, which helps keep a a little bit of a lid on some valuations. But I keep expecting it to happen. I keep expecting that, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll see one of the, you know, these big behemoth top tier firms with a, you know, with an office planted somewhere or a partner here. But, you know, so far, It's a little bit of interest in in competition, but not like full scale competition, I don't think.
2: Mm -hmm. And then I'll just add to that. I think that a Colorado founder doesn't necessarily want to work with a Bay Area fund, right? It takes a special type of founder to want to grow their business in Colorado, and they're looking for more of that partner mindset which you can find in the bay area but not necessarily will will you find it like you will right. if you raise from a, a colorado bc firm you
1: can either have the code of the west or the code of california yeah. that's your choice guess, well as a founder. And exactly not
0: to, not to bash the california no, firms, no. it's a, de- a definitely a different way of doing business but we've got a long history too of doing even early stage investing with uh you know, bringing on some, you know, some great, well-known, well-established Bay Area funds into our deals, you know, at the very beginning and either, you know, co-investing or, or having them come in at a at a later stage. Right. And be, being cooperative and additive. That's, yeah. that's it. Exactly, Brian. Yep.
1: A, a second ago, Brian, you mentioned COVID and I'm, I'm curious, I'd love to hear both of your, your take on this question. And that is what has changed post-COVID, either for Access or, or at least for you, you've, you started there during COVID, maybe, maybe in Colorado, what, what's changed?
2: Well, we definitely have an influx of great talent from the coast. It's amazing. I have met such amazing professionals that have moved here and are looking to work for a Colorado-based company. And reaching out to us regularly asking for recommendations of who to work with, who, who they can advise or be on the board. And these are professionals who are and talent that have been in the, in the tech ecosystem for decades that we normally would never have just volunteering in our backyard as a part of getting reconnected to the community or getting connected, period. I think also what has changed and is that we are looking at deals that are really trying to envision or, or really try to be a resource for this next period of the future of work, right? And I know we, everybody talks about this, but the reality is here and there are different approaches than what we have seen traditionally come up as a Zoom, for instance, and just like Zoom plugins and add-ons, et cetera, how we build teams and what that looks like remote in a remote environment. There are a ton of future of work companies in Colorado. And so it's been interesting to really tap into what founders think is going to to really change.
0: I'll just add not a more of a just qualitative comment. I, I just think that we don't know yet about where we're landing coming out of COVID. I think that, you know, what I struggle with are the, you know, 100% remote company you know, and and so as we encounter that more and more coming out of COVID, where the founders in Boulder, the, you know, VP of engineering's in St. Louis, and someone's in Florida, you know, these teams, I'm like, how the hell did you guys even find each other, number one? and, And, you know, it shows a little bit of old school, but, you know, I started my career and you got a lapel pin and you were told to you know, get in the office before your boss and leave after him. Right. So that was your culture. And and I think these changes are very positive for the most part for, you know, people coming up where there's just more quality of life and quality of work available. And it doesn't need to be that way when, you know, how, how I started my career, but I, I really think that something is lost when you don't have day to day interaction with, your peers and your coworkers and your bosses and the subordinates and and I just think that we're really losing something in that in that culture and to Elise's point there are a lot of companies that are creating tools to help that but there's some things software can't fix and and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent with our companies to say when it's safe when people are comfortable when it's okay let's get back to some semblance of that social cohesion and I mean let's face it, that's why I do this job because I like people and I like to see people grow companies and do things. And it's I struggle to see how that scales without, you know, people just getting back and, you know, being normal social beasts again.
2: You have to be able to build trust with your team in the initial days of building a startup, right? And I'm the biggest proponent of remote work. I'm in a cabin in Canada right now, right? But that being said, when I'm back next week, I'm going to be meeting with everyone, no matter if it's at a coffee shop or co-working space, walk and talk, whatever. I'm going to have my calendar booked to build those relationships face-to-face or work on problems face-to-face because it's one more efficient. And secondly, it is that cohesion that you really need to build on trust,
1: absolutely, you can't replace it. So, looking forward now into the future, this is the part of the episode that we'll play back in three years from now and see if you were right. Where, where do you see? Uh, and I'd love for you both to answer this, but where do you see access venture partners in the future? Where, where are you going the rest of twenty twenty one
0: and beyond? Well, I want at least to answer this first.
2: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Okay. Well, we we have this co-working space on the moon and then our second location's in Aspen. I <laughs> love it. I love um, <laughs> it. Why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Because it's only three years less, not 10. Come on. So I, I think my my vision for AVP in the next three years is really doubling down on investing in diverse founders and, and opening up our pool of founders that we are we back and support i think it's also bringing on additional partner who has been building their network in the colorado ecosystem for a while and will serve as a good counterpart for us and then hopefully we'll be riding the wave of three new exits and and take some little vacation time
1: (laughs) much needed get away from those people for a little while and recharge (laughs) yeah
0: i would say you know that we would have laid the groundwork to perpetuate the firm. And I, and I and I know I used that earlier, but, you know, we've worked really, really hard to get to where we are right now. We're, you know, I think you can tell we're super proud of what we've accomplished. And we love what we do. We want to keep doing it. So, you know, even though Frank Kirk and I are, are you know, now in the tech industry anyway, old guys, you know, we want to bring on younger people and have lease and those people really continue to make us better and improve. And ultimately, you know, I'd love to look back and, you know, I don't know when I, when I retire, which my wife won't let me do. So, but it, if it ever happens, but just look back and see that, you know, you've got that next wave of great investors who are doing what we do so that this community continues to evolve and you know we continue to build companies and and you know i think that's a really hard thing to do in any you know more of a financial or professional services where it's so individualistic and and you know personality driven to perpetuate that and you know we haven't done it as of yet at least is a great in fact an incredible first step but we need to do better and and do that so in three years i hope that we can look back and say see we've started this and look, look how well we're doing.
1: That's awesome. I, I got to say, I usually don't make predictions on the podcast, but based on what I heard today, based on the foundation, the founding story, the culture, the, the code of the West, if I were going to bet on it, I bet the best is yet to come. So, congratulations to you for joining the team and that seems like a really exciting future ahead for AVP. So, according to Code of the West, I'm going to try to know where to draw the line. I think we're just about out of time. Nice. And I just want to ask, at could you share with us where our listeners could find more about Access Venture Partners online?
2: Sure. Uh, accessvp.com. There are several Access Venture partners and active ventures, but that's where you can find us.
1: Wonderful. Thank you both for joining us today. Re- really excited to have you and, and thankful for all the work you're doing in the in the Rockies.
2: Thanks so much, yeah, Les. Yeah, thanks,
0: Les. It's fun to get to work in the same ecosystem as, as you. And I, I couldn't agree more. All right.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to our podcast page at nextfrontiercapital.com to get links and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. We'll see you next time.